may be seated. I encourage you to join me now in taking your copy of God's Word or taking a copy of it you find there in the pew in front of you. And turn with me back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 35. And I say back to it because this was our passage last Sunday as well. If you know anything about Presbyterian sermons, you know that there are usually three points to every sermon, but last Sunday we only got through one of those. And so our goal is to get through the other two this morning. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the point we, we, kept out, we camped out on last week uh, was in the theme of the beauty that we find in this passage, looking at the beauty of God's wisdom and creation. We often think of God's creation as a testimony to his, to his power. He spoke all things into creation by the power of his own word. He said, let there be light. There was, there was light. Let there be land. Let there be sea. as things happen. So we, we think of his power in that way. We think of creation testifying uh, to his creativity. We look around the world and it's a very creative world. It's a very, very beautiful uh, creative world around us. It's also a testimony to his sovereignty. Only a sovereign God could create this way. As we saw in this passage last Sunday, creation also testifies to the wisdom of God. We look around at the world around us, at creation around us, it testifies that our God is a wise God. And we see that even as something as mundane and ordinary as rain. Something either we can take granted, or we're praying for more of, or we're praying for less of. <clears throat> but it's very normal and ordinary to us, but we see his wisdom even in that. We also see his wisdom that when sin entered into his creation, he gave us the gospel. You realize that at at the beginning of Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had every right, all of his prerogative to have wiped the slate clean. His perfect creation had been ruined. God had every right to wipe it all clean and say, I'm done. Or we're going to start over. But what did he do? He looked at Satan with Adam and Eve there as eyewitnesses, seeing all this. And he says, he says to Satan, there's going to be a seed that comes forth from the woman. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. It's the first promise of the gospel. And that's what shows us the beauty of the gospel. That when God walks in and sees his creation fallen in sin, what does he do? He promises his only son to come and to fix this mess, to undo what the first Adam has done. And there is nothing more beautiful than knowing the gospel in that manner. That you are so loved that even before the beginning of time, the plan was in place to save you. Before any of that happened, the plan was in place that Jesus would come and save us from our sins. And that is the foundation of all beauty, isn't it? And it's the foundation of the other beauty we find in this passage, that wisdom is personified in beautiful terms and the beauty of walking in God's wisdom. So that brings us back to our passage this morning, and Lord willing, we will get through these final two points to make it a complete three-point sermon that's taken two weeks to get through. Let me pray for us, and then we will come together 
to God's word. Lord, we, we thank you that you are a beautiful God. You've given us a beautiful word in which we find a beautiful gospel that points us to a beautiful Savior. And Lord, I pray that we will all hear and understand that beauty this morning. That there is nothing better than this. There is nothing better than gathering with your people for worship. Gathering together for worship. To, to sing your word, to pray your word, to now hear it read and to, and to think about it and to talk about it. For it, to, for, it to be, for it to point us to Jesus Christ, Lord, there is there's nothing more wonderful, no, nothing more beautiful than this time. So guide us in this way, in this time, O oh Lord. May we truly meet with you as we come before your word. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 35. We will stand together for the reading of God's word. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is at her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of son of terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. For centuries now, Christians around the world have been known by the symbol of a cross. You think about it. Many Christians wear necklaces that has a cross on it. We have them on t-shirts. It's popular now to get tattoos of crosses. We can have them as decorations in our homes. We can have them around our office. We can have them as bumper stickers on our cars. But for centuries now, the cross is the symbol by which we have been known. It's a sign to the world of our faith. And think about within the context of a church. Can you imagine a Christian church without the cross somewhere on it and in it? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's true for us here. I mean, we have the cross on that stained glass window. We have it on our hymnals. And we're so Scott-Irish, we've even got Celtic crosses 
on this stained glass window and on the, the front of our bullets right, in honor of our Scott-Irish heritage. It's, it's part of the decor of our church. It's, it's hard to think of a Christian church without a cross. It's, it's hard to think of Christianity without thinking about the cross. But that hasn't always been true. When we go back to the early church around the first century, uh, around the first century, the cross was not the main symbol and sign for Christianity. Rather, it was a fish. Specifically, the, the fish symbol that we've known as the ichthus. And you've all seen it. It's, it's, the, it's the outline of a fish that has a very pointy nose and, and a wide tail. But that was the early symbol for the church. That's what Christians were known for. That was the main symbol of their faith. That's what the Christians put forth to the world as a symbol of their faith. We have it in records that as early as the first century that Christians made an acrostic from that word ichthus. And in English, it, the acrostic is Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So if we we're able to get in a time machine and go back to the first century, we wouldn't see crosses all over the place. We would see an ichthus. Symbol of fish. And when we think about that, it, it makes sense, right? We think of Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000 with what? Two fish and five loaves. We think of Jesus calling his disciples, and you remember what he promised to them come and follow me, and I will do what? I'll make you fishers of men. He's calling fishermen. And that call extends even to, our, to his disciples throughout the ages. Second, second century theologian Tertullian explained baptism this way. We little fishes, after the image of our ichthus, Jesus Christ, are born in the water. So we can understand why the early church held on to the symbol of the fish for, uh, for their faith. But there's a bigger reason than that. And that's because that symbol would have attracted little suspicion. This was a time of great persecution and tribulation. And they wanted to attract as little suspicion as possible. Because remember, the symbol at a cross at that time was a symbol of torture and death. So to wear it around, to have it as a sign of your faith would have been rather macabre. It would have been suspicious. Like us nowadays having a gold chain with a little electric chair in the front of it. He turns in front of your bullets and there's an electric chair on there. And there's an electric chair and the stained glass windows, right? It's a little weird. But what was it for the ichthus? It provided, it attracted little suspicion and made it a perfect symbol for Christians. So we find it all over the early church. They would use it to mark meeting places and tombs. They would use it to distinguish friends from foe. And there's, according to one ancient story, when a Christian would meet a stranger on the road... That Christian would sometimes take a stick and draw one arc of that fish outline in the dirt. If the stranger drew the other arc, then they knew that they were in good company because they were both Christians. But for all of Christianity, there has always been a symbol of our faith. There's always been something by which we have been known by. First a fish, and now a cross. Because it lays to the reality of our faith, of our lives, and that is we're all going to be known for something. We are all known for something. 
We're all known for something that we are purposely putting forward as something we want to be known for. For Christians, a symbol of fish and to become a cross. But the question for it for us is, what is it that we are known for? What is it we are choosing to be known for? We have a choice of what we're going to be known for. So what is it we're choosing to be known for? Because we all know that just wearing a cross doesn't make you a Christian. It's living out the truth of the gospel of the cross. So what are we choosing to put forward out there that we want to be known by? And that's a, that's a big deal in our, in our society nowadays. There is so much uh, time and energy given towards crafting a certain image or persona. All you have to do is go on social media and see how much time is given to having the right pose with the right filter, doing the right duck face, doing all these things to make sure you have the right image you put out there. Even outside of social media, the vehicles we drive says something about us. The clothes we wear says something about us. The houses we live in says something about us. The vacations we choose to go on says something about us. They are all part of what we are known for. So biblical wisdom brings us to the point of saying, you are choosing an image. You are choosing to put something forth out there. What is it you are choosing to put out there? What is it you're choosing to be known by? What are you being purposeful about? And we can think throughout Scripture, we're told this, we're we're told that we should be known for more, more, no more for obedience to Christ than rebellion against. We should be known more for obedience than sinfulness. We should be known more for for grace than for violence. We should be known more for love of Christ than hatred of others or, or apathy of others because we will be known by something. Jesus says to his disciples in John 13, 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. It's a very absolute statement, isn't it? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And you remember what that knowledge is? If you have love for one another. So the testimony of Scripture is true. We will be known for something. The question is, what are you choosing to be known by? What are you purposely pursuing to be known by? And the wisdom we find here in this passage in Proverbs is that Christians should be known by beauty. That should be our ichthus, that should be our cross. It is beauty. And it's the beauty that we find here. And I want us to step back and remember, uh, we talked about last week, that this idea of beauty is the idea of something that's beyond excellence. Something that's beautiful is something that changes you positively. We think of those things that we can describe as beautiful as a person or, or scenery, uh, a music, or a painting. It has a positive effect on you. It changes you. It, it, it sticks with you. It, it's burned into your mind and heart. You can never really shake the effects of it. That's beauty, and that's the beauty of God's wisdom. The beauty of God's wisdom, it sticks with you. It, it, it gets burned into your mind and heart. And once we're exposed to it, we, we know it, we follow it, we're changed by it. Bruce talked about this morning in Sunday school. We're changed by this wisdom. We can never shake how it has changed our lives. 
We said earlier, we, we, we focused last week about that with the beauty of the gospel. When your faith is in the gospel, did you know there is nothing more beautiful than the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you and the eternal blessings that come from that? It changes you. Some of you saw this week, I put my, my testimony, part of my testimony on social media because it is around this time, 24 years ago, that, that, that God came after me. There's no other way to put it. So that he came after me and it brought me to my knees. And from that, that, mid, that midsummer night in July, when I was on my knees praying, my life has never been the same. Because the beauty of the gospel will change you. You can never change the effects it has on you. And so we see that in what Solomon bookends in this passage. It's the beauty of wisdom personified, and it's the beauty of walking in and living by the wisdom of God. So let's look at the personification of it first. Let's look again at verses 13 through 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So Solomon's doing something here he's already done before, and that's he's putting personification to wisdom. Uh, before he talked about her as a street preacher, here he's personifying her as beautiful. We'll see this happening as we get further into Proverbs as well. But it's the personification of wisdom. Now, why do we do that? Why is this done? Uh, well, it, 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 why, why is wisdom given human qualities and distinctives? Because it helps us better wrap our minds around it. Sometimes wisdom can be uh, hard to grasp. Sometimes it can almost be like a mist, right? And we may be struggling to, to understand it. But when we put it in terms of human qualities and distinctives, it helps us get a better grasp of it. And the first thing we, we learn in this personification of the beauty of God's wisdom is there's blessings, always blessings that come from God's wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Blessed is the one who gets understanding. Now hopefully this kind of rings a bell with you. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's how the book of Psalms opens up. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We, we get the idea over and over again that God loves to bless his people. Our God is a God who loves to bless us. But he has specific ways in which he blesses us. In Psalm 1, we find that he blesses us when we are in his word. In Proverbs 3, we find that God blesses us when we are in his wisdom. But we've taken this idea of blessing and we've changed it into something almost selfish and narcissistic. A lot of times when people talk about being blessed nowadays, they're talking about something that they gain to their advantage. I'm blessed because I got a promotion at my job. I'm blessed because I'm able to get this new vehicle. I'm blessed because I got to the college of my choice. I'm blessed because I'm getting, I'm getting engaged to be married. And all those things are good. And they're all part of being blessed. But the biblical idea of being blessed goes beyond self. And just what we gain, it encompasses all of our life. 
The idea here is that being blessed is a well-being in every area of life. And really what it means, being blessed is the ability to see all of our life under the purview of the sovereignty of God. And being thankful when things are going well according to God's standard in his world. Going according to his standard we find in his word, sorry. And that's a different little slant on blessing, isn't it? Not just what we deem to be good, but what God deems to be good. That's being blessed. Romans 8.28, we know that God works together all things for good. Who's good? It's God's good in our lives. And so what's biblical wisdom? What's biblical wisdom of things going well? Is it through the pursuit of, of, of pleasure and fame and money? Because that's what the world tells us, right? Blessings are when you have all the pleasure you can, you can desire, all the fame you can desire, all the money you can want. But what we find time and time again are testimonies that that wisdom leads to misery. Beth and I were, were talking this week, one of her uh, friends in college, and, and they roomed together a little bit after college. Uh, this young lady was a fin- financial advisor in Charlotte. And she would come home at night and, and she would tell Beth just how surprised she was, how much in, in shock she was when she would sit down with these immensely wealthy people. And they had, you know, this large first number with a lot of zeros behind it. And they're trying to work on their, on, on their, their portfolio, doing financial advising. And some of these people who had all these zeros behind their numbers weren't satisfied. They didn't think they had enough money. This young lady's thinking, if I had a fraction of this money, I would quit my job and you know, move to the islands and never see any of you again. But they had all this money, and yet some, life, some level of their life was miserable because the pursuit of money hasn't brought them peace and happiness. And yet they're still racing after it. Over the years, reading articles and books uh, and hearing the stories about how miserable famous people are. They're miserable. They're instantly recognizable. People know their faces all over the world. People fantasize about them, fantasize about being them. And yet they're miserable. And there's doctors in Hollywood who said our minds would be blown if we knew how much antidepressants were prescribed in Hollywood. Because of how miserable they are. But that's the wisdom of the world, isn't it? You want to bless life? Go for all the pleasure you can find. Go seek fame, try to get all this money. While we find that people who do that are led to misery and ruin. So according to God's wisdom, how do things go well? Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. The wisdom is this. This is the wisdom that Solomon is sharing with his son and God is sharing with us. There is no other path to the good life than through God. There's no other path to the good life than through God and in his wisdom. And we need to make no mistake about it. Our sinfulness wants us to pursue another path. The world wants us to pursue another path. And those paths lead to destruction. But it's very simple. The good life begins in and with God's wisdom. It's seeing God's wisdom as beautiful and following after it. And, and, and do you realize, or did you pick up on how Solomon personifies this? 
He says, wisdom is better than having all the silver and gold. It's more precious than jewels. I'm a child of the 80s. One of my favorite movies growing up was The Goonies. If you've seen The Goonies and you're familiar with it, they go on to treasure hunt. After um, What was the pirate's name? There's a pirate. They were going after his treasure. It's so great, I forget his name. One-Eyed Willie. So they go and they find, and, 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 and they get to the treasure. They find the ship, and there's more gold than, than, what, they can, than what they know what to do with. There's, more, there's nothing more precious than all that. One of the great parts of the story, though, is they, they realize how much more important their friendship was than all the gold in it. But that's the idea here of wisdom. When we have God's wisdom, when we're pursuing it, it's better than all the zeros that could go after that first number in our bank accounts. It's better than having all the gold in the safe at Fort Knox. It's better than all that. And he says, look, God's wisdom gives you long life. Not that it guarantees long life, but when you're wise, it's a better chance you're going to live a long life than if you're unwise and you do dumb things. It gives riches, it gives honor, it leads to pleasure, it leads to peace. It leads you to, to relax in the shade of the tree of life. And that's the beauty of God's wisdom. And the wisdom is, we are blessed when we Seek that when we find it, when we hold on to it. All of us want to live the good life. But it's not the world's standards we're to go by, it's by God's standards. When we seek God's wisdom, it's beautiful. And we seek that wisdom, so when we live in that wisdom. I, I, I love hearing the testimonies of people who are older. And they look back over their lives. And they'll say... I was never rich, but God always provided. And you find this husband and wife who still love and enjoy each other. And they still find their children to be a delight. Even after their children gave them all these wrinkles and gray hair, they still find their children to be a delight. And their children love and honor their parents. And you ask them, what did you do? What, how, how did you get this way? And part of testimony is this. We follow God's wisdom. And every Sunday morning, we got up, we put up our Sunday, we put on our Sunday best, and we went to church, and we sat in our favorite church pew. And somebody else was sitting there, we'd go to another pew, and we'd give them a stink eye until next Sunday, we'd go back and grab it back. But they would go to Sunday, they would go to church every Sunday. And we'd go to Sunday school. And our children were active in children's group and then youth group. And we were active in, in prayer meetings and Bible studies. They weren't famous. They weren't wealthy. They weren't powerful. But they had what counts. And they had it in plenty. Simply because they chose to find beauty in God's wisdom. So they sought it. They found it. They held on to it. And they had it guide their lives. And their testimony, their ichthus, their cross, was a testimony of the beauty of God's wisdom. And finding that beauty leads to the, to the section that ends uh, Proverbs, this section of Proverbs, and it's the beauty of walking in and living by the wisdom of God.
Solomon appear, appeals to the personal nature. He says, my son, do not lose sight of these. We, we can almost imagine there's pleading in his, in his voice. Son, I love you. Do not lose sight of this wisdom. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. We've all probably heard that old adage, if you, aim at no, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. That's a good adage for learning how to shoot. It's also a good adage for life. Because we're all going to aim at something in life. We're all going to be moving towards something and walking towards it. The question is, what is our goal? What is the bullseye? What are we moving towards? Biblical wisdom is the beauty of the wisdom of God to walk in it and to live by it. And the testimony here from the one who gives life is that this is where life is. And it's a beautiful life. It's a good life. It's a life well worth living. Two things for us to quickly notice in this. We begin to wrap this up. This sort of life in God's wisdom leads to peace. Did you know Solomon's saying that? Because what have we to fear when we're walking on the right path? What have we to fear when we're on God's path of wisdom? Nothing. And Solomon says, you will walk securely. Your foot will, not slump, well, your foot will not stumble. And when you get to the end of the day and you lie down to sleep, your sleep will be sweeter of this because of wisdom. But why? Why does it work this way? Because when we walk in the wisdom of God, then he becomes our confidence more and more. When we, the further we get down the path of God, the more confidence we have in His will and His word and in His direction because we see how truthful and faithful He is. That the further we walk, we look back and we go, I have been walking securely. My, my feet haven't been stumbling. And my sleep has been sweeter. When we obey and follow and walk in the way which He points us, then all of our confidence will be in Him. And Solomon says, what, what better life and adornment is there than that? There's nothing more beautiful than a Christian who walks in the wisdom of the Lord. Because that's the sort of life that leads to peace. Second thing we notice is that wisdom includes how we love our neighbors. We remember uh, Jesus summarizing the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're seeing the wisdom of it here. And it's the wisdom of how to live with a neighbor who's wicked. And the wisdom of not being wicked with your neighbor. And the wisdom is very simple. We're not responsible for what our neighbor does. We're not responsible for how wicked they are. We're called to protect our family from it and to not answer their folly with folly. And what Solomon says here is, look, if they're wicked, understand that one day they will stand in judgment for how they choose to treat others. There's nothing we can do on this side of heaven that will equal to God's judgment for that. So, so we just need to be responsible for not answering their wickedness with our wickedness. We're responsible with how we treat others. It's a biblical wisdom is that we're not evil to them. We don't contend with them for no reason. We don't envy their sinful ways and try to copy them. Because it doesn't end well. As it says in verse 28, the Lord will righteously deal with such bad people. His judgment will come upon them. But for those of us who follow the Lord, who walk in his ways, there will come honor because we have honored him in our lives and he will honor us in that. And that's the beauty of living in God's wisdom. The beauty of his wisdom in creation and in the gospel, the beauty of his wisdom personified, the, the beauty of walking in that wisdom. This 
is the good life. But like we said with the children this morning, that good life doesn't begin with us. That good life begins with Jesus Christ. We find in 1 Corinthians, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of God's wisdom. Jesus is, is in a sense, the beauty of God's wisdom in the flesh. Not that his person was beautiful. We find the prophet Isaiah saying he was nothing to look at, but that his ways were beautiful because he was living in the wisdom of the Lord. There is nothing Jesus found to be more beautiful than God's wisdom. There is nothing Jesus found to be more beautiful than to walk in God's wisdom. And we see that beauty in how he lived out this wisdom. He was purposeful. He, he, he lived this way. He loved his neighbor, even when they were difficult. In perfect wisdom, Jesus didn't return evil for evil. Rather, he pointed them to the wisdom of God and scripture and salvation. So how, what are we to be known by? What is meant to be our ichthus, our cross in this world, is meant to be Jesus Christ and our faith in him. And when our faith is in him, then we will walk in his ways and his ways are beautiful because they are the ways of God's wisdom. As we have said before, and we know this testimony with so many other people, when we live that way, very rarely do we have to tell other people we are Christians. It's just no. Because we're so different from the world. And that difference is a good difference. So we can wear a cross. We can put the ichthus uh, magnet on the back of our cars. But what matters most is that we believe in what the cross stands for. Who the fish points us to. And we live out that wisdom. Because blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. So that is the adornment in our lives for all to see. Let's pray together.